welcome to the Girls on Tour podcast with Mira Manga. Hello and welcome again to the Girls on Tour podcast, the podcast that interviews inspirational and excellent women all about their adventures in transit. Today, I interview my dear friend and colleague, Gabby Lodoff. Gabby works as an international buyer and is always on the road, traveling to the weirdest and wonderfulest destinations. I ask her about her adventures in buying and how she got into this incredible job. She also shares some great trips for anyone planning to venture off the beaten track. You join us in Soho just as I begin to interrogate. Let us begin and you guys enjoy. So I'm sitting here with Gabby Lodoff. You're from South Africa. You were born there, right? I am. And I know that because I've known you for, well, a long time. And we worked together in retail support at Lush. And now, Gabby, you're one of our buyers. What kind of things do you buy for us? Um, So I look after the team that buys all the raw materials and safe synthetics. So any oils, butters, fruits, uh, surfactants, colors, all of those kinds of things. Yeah. Specifically, I tend to look after cocoa because mm. I love chocolate and it's my baby. So I've handed everything else over and I'm busy handing over cocoa as well. But it tends to be all of the non-essential oil or fragrance ingredients that go into the products. Kind of a big responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. And when your department buys stuff, is it for just Lush UK or? Oh, it tends to vary. So because all of the R&D and creativity happens in the UK, mm. whenever we're starting to develop products and we need new fabulous ingredients that we might not use already, it's the team in the UK that will source all of these things. Sometimes it's a specific request to bring something in. Other times you would have gone to visit a supplier or on a trip and you would bring something new and fabulous back with you. Oh, so it tends to vary. Then in an ideal world, we should only be buying for the UK. But the reality is that often we're still buying to supply a lot of the other markets as well. Yeah. When I met you, you had kind of arrived to London and you kind of forged a career. So you began in the Covent Garden shop in Lush. Yes. And then you stayed. But one of the things my podcast talks about is kind of emigrating and Mm -hmm. choosing a new country. So I've got a written question here. So you've been a wandering star for a long time. And what prompted your move and how did you end up living in London? So, as you said, I grew up in South Africa and we traveled quite a bit around Southern Africa when I was growing up. I grew up on a farm in the middle of nowhere and I always loved exploring and this idea of adventure. And if you asked seven-year-old me what my dream would be, it would be to go down the Amazon one day. I watched some movie with an undiscovered tribe of people and yes, I had this idea of what life could be. Um, I finished part of my studies. I did... Microsoft certified systems engineer, IT kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, I forget. Yeah, listeners, Gabby's a huge geek if you need your laptop fixing. <laughs> no, don't say that. Uh, and so I decided to go to medical school, but I had a year between mm. and I wanted to go traveling. My mum had died not long before, so I was mm. a little bit. Um, maybe unsettled, unsure of what to do and I decided I'd go travelling and I wanted to go explore Europe and at the time it was easy to get a working visa for the UK as a working holiday maker and it seemed like the perfect base. London, you could just nip across to Europe anytime you liked (laughs) and so there I went, packed my bag, arrived at Heathrow Airport and um, welcome to London. Yay! (laughs) Actually I remember the first day that I was here so I arrived and it was dark and I was picked up by a minibus that dropped me at my hostel and the first day when I woke up I was in kind of Barons Court, West Kensington kind of area. And I went for a walk and there was something about it. And it's not the most picturesque area necessarily. (laughs) I walked along quite a busy main road, but I felt 
like I'd fallen in love. There was something about the city wow. and the energy, even there on the first day, that I was like, I could imagine living here one day. Wow, day one. Day one, absolutely. And then I went to a pub and spent a ridiculous amount of money <laughs> on a warm pint, and it was a little bit different. But um, no, there was just something about it. And I intended to go traveling, but I had a lot of fun in London. And yeah. um, I had enough money that should have lasted me the full year and my traveling, but about two months in, I'd run out. <laughs> Okay, classic. <laughs> Expensive taste. Yeah. And I needed to find a job, still mm. thinking I would only be here for a year. And at the time, it was easiest to apply for jobs through the Evening Standard. Oh, okay. I applied for a number of jobs, got a voice message on a shared phone, um, something, couldn't hear who the company was, but come here this time for an interview. So I dressed up in heels and a pencil <laughs> skirt and a shirt, because, you know, yeah. I'm a professional. And it was lush. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We're laughing, because if you come and look in a regular lush workplace, pencil skirts are not... They're no. not really, especially for a sales assistant job, they're not really no. the outfit of the day. And I remember the people that interviewed me laughing a little bit and being like, are you sure you're in the right place? I was like, well, yeah. Oh. Um, <laughs> And so that's kind of how I fell into my time with Lush. And London really felt more and more like a home. The variety of galleries and museums and the culture and just the buildings, so beautiful. I was really in love with architecture as well, still am. And it was just such a fantastic place to be that when my one year was up, I decided to extend it to a second year, much to the disappointment of my family. Of course. (laughs) So much for that university degree back home. You came to London and fell in love. And I literally fell in love as well, which is how I got to stay beyond the two years, because you'd only only ever work for two years. But I fell in love with someone that I met on the shop floor. Oh, wow. Lush can bring love. Lush brang love in the form of a customer (laughs) that I think I mildly insulted. um, You got more than he bargained for when he checked out his bath bombs. (laughs) Yeah, didn't he just? (laughs) And, uh, And so I was reaching the end of my time, and I would have to go back home. And he was from New Zealand, and we were like, well, let's just get married. Oh, wow. (laughs) As you do. And I only told my family after the fact, but that meant that I then stayed, and here I still am today. That's amazing. And so you kind of progressed from being in Common Garden, and then you worked through the offices with me. Mm -hmm. But I remember you were really keen on buying. I have a fascination with different cultures, um, being able to understand and experience things firsthand. I love learning, seeing new parts of the world. And for me, buying was beyond the beautiful ingredients. I remember cornering the founder, one of the founders of Lush, Mark Constantine, very early on in my career, my time on the shop floor, Mm. saying, what are we doing about the suppliers, the people who actually grow our materials? And there was just something about being able to work closely and make a real difference on the ground um, and learn from all these different peoples that really appealed to me. One thing led to another, and years on, I got a call from Mark saying, so I've been thinking, and I think you should join buying. I was like, I'll think about it. And he phoned me back the next day. He's like, no, so no more thinking. You are. That's fantastic. (laughs) You're having a meeting, off you go. Yeah. And would you call it your dream job? I I absolutely love it. It's very diverse, very challenging. It's a constant learning experience. And there's so much more to it than just the sourcing of ingredients. And you have the opportunity to get involved in so many different things as well. And really, it is such a fantastic experience and opportunity for anyone, Mm. really. I would highly recommend it. 
So, but it's not your dream job then? Oh, it is, but I feel that way about most things. Oh. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I think it also depends because a traditional buying job is one thing. Buying for Lush, being a creative buyer is a very different thing. Yeah. And what I've always found with the company that we work for is you have the you have this amazing opportunity to make your passions part of your work. Yes. So whether it's music, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Um, or whether I ended up studying anthropology in the UK while I was working for Lush, and so this understanding of cultures and similar, and so there are elements of it, absolutely. Yeah. But I think that there are also elements that you can then take on to do other things as well. Okay. I, I was it's kind of, I'm going to let you drink your coffee while I talk at you now, but I was kind of expecting you to say, well, my dream job was to be an astronaut because you are annoyingly brainy. And a little bit of a geek. So, <laughs> first woman in space from, you know, South I think Africa. I missed that. Oh, yes, okay. Um, I think that. So, seven year old me was the Amazon. Um, sort of from 10 onwards was a lawyer, a doctor, or an architect. Yeah. Those were kind of the things that I was thinking of doing. You just really do love learning. I love That's learning. Huge thing. That's, I do. So, I can imagine that little girl and all those interests and studies, this is now as a grown up just continuing that. I used to um, I used to take a page out of the dictionary every day for a while. Oh my goodness! <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, you better display some of that vocab in my. No, podcast. it's all gone now. Um, and where has your job taken you? Oh, my job's taken me to so many places, predominantly down to Dorset. <laughs> Yay! Cool. <laughs> no, uh, jokes aside, I have been to a huge variety of places. I've been to Kenya, Ghana, Zambia. South Africa with work, which was lovely. Um, Peru, Ecuador, Brazil, Japan, Indonesia. Oh my! Pretty goodness. much. Yeah, Morocco. And India? Do you go with? I've been to India as well. Yeah. yeah. So I've really just basically everywhere. Not nearly enough yet. Oh god. There are people that have travelled a lot more than I have within the organisation. Yeah. Um, but certainly, it's always been a passion of mine and something I would have loved to do on my own time if I yeah. didn't have the opportunity with work but I actually think now with the experiences I've had that doing it through work and having the connections with people on the ground and getting mm. off the beaten track because we tend to go to quite remote areas yeah. is just a completely different experience. Well um, let's talk a bit about remote areas because quite often I will watch a video that you guys have made mm. while you're out there and you know you can be off in a jeep for like seven eight hours to a plantation mm. or to a farm or something and um you know, I wanted to ask you this question. The podcast is called Girls on Tour. Potentially, you travel to some quite dangerous areas. And as a woman abroad, uh, when you're traveling to all these places off the beaten track, uh, do you feel safe? And how do you stay safe? I have never really had... No, not never. Um, there have not been many instances where I haven't felt safe. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it is about... Being prepared, mm. so doing a bit of research, making sure you know where you're going, sharing your itinerary with people so that people check in. I'm lucky enough that often when I go traveling, I have people that will be looking after me as well yeah. when I reach their destination. But I do travel quite often on my own. And I realized I arrived once at an airport having not done my research, having not planned it, having not gotten a few phrases in my mind in the local language. And I arrived at two in the morning in the dark, had to oh, try gosh. and get a taxi and try and explain yeah. where I was going. And I realized that actually I wasn't doing myself any favors. So I'm a lot better now at preparing in advance. And then actually what we started doing through work as well is we do a travel safety course, if you would. The same okay. the journalists or NGO workers would do. It's called Surviving Hostile Regions. Wow. Um, <laughs> and a lot of it is 
first aid training because actually your biggest risk wherever you go is a car accident or something else so how do you deal with those kinds of situations and then also just how do you if there is political unrest if something happens unexpectedly where do you go what's your port of call so just giving you the sort of the baseline knowledge for how you could deal with any situation might arise and that was hugely beneficial to me as well with how I plan things how I look at things and just approach it in general basically be prepared is is like a good plan be prepared be open-minded and also just a bit of it's such a silly phrase but common sense yeah don't go somewhere with lots of beautiful jewelry and a huge camera around your neck yeah. walking alone in the dark is yes. it just and it sounds obvious but it's so easy to forget because you just want to go somewhere you want to go take some lovely photos mm. and it's just having a bit of an awareness and also being respectful of the places you're going and the culture there as well okay thank you really good advice and so we shouldn't be scared to travel we should just be ready to travel i'm going to take that from yeah cool okay so as somebody that's constantly in motion and i say this because I will meet you in the morning at Waterloo and you will have arrived back from somewhere and then we're going to go down to the head office and pool to work Mm -hmm. and then you will be leaving for somewhere else that night. So as someone constantly in motion, you know, suitcase after suitcase, plane after plane, how do you survive this? Like what what travel tricks or tips have you learned that you can share with us? I only ever take a bag that is a hand luggage size. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Whether you're going for a week, two weeks, three weeks, I pack very small, very minimal. I wash my clothes in the hotel rooms where I arrive, okay. take solid travel products as well, so yeah. solid shampoo bars or a shower gel that could do hair and body. I tend to be quite low maintenance in okay. what I'm taking because half of my suitcase is also a first aid emergency kit, okay, pretty much. Wow. <laughs> and maybe a mozzie net, depends where you're going. I have quite a streamlined wardrobe actually, there are certain things and scarves or similar that you take wherever you go. There are things I never take out of my suitcase. I just leave it ready to go and I just put in some clean clothes on top. Um, So like the medical kit or whatever else it might be. Have a look at what you're packing and you probably need to take a third of that because I think we all want to take all these beautiful outfits and you want to have the extra accessories, but you really don't need it. Half the stuff when you go traveling, you never take out of your suitcase anyway. So things that match nicely and are super comfortable and think about the climate for where you're going as well because temperatures can vary so much so layers i need to think about this because i just pulled out my biggest suitcase to go away for seven days and now i'm actually thinking she's probably right i don't need probably five pairs of shoes it depends where you're going right (laughs) but uh, for a lot of what i do i often go between places as well and if i have to lug around a heavy suitcase I'm miserable, really. It makes me very unhappy. And it's just more to pack in when I need to leave for the next place. So streamline it. Natural fibers where you can as well. Because when you're somewhere hot and sunny, yeah. Yeah. There's nothing worse. And so do you now have like a ridiculous amount of air miles or do you get regularly upgraded? I wish. Uh, No, I'm joking. (laughs) I'm joking. I have been lucky. I've been upgraded a few times. I do quite a bit of long haul travel in economy. It's really not that bad. Yeah. Have a look at the seat you want to choose in advance where you can. I always take an R seat. Mm, for your long legs. For my long legs. Because you're how tall are you? Just under six foot. Yeah. Depends on the day. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so I do have a fair amount of air miles that I use every now and then for some little trips for myself. Mm. Um, but I only started collecting those fairly recently. Oh, if you be, haven't signed up, you must. You'll be in trouble with Charlotte if you refer back to her podcast. <laughs> she was very strict about air miles. Yeah. Um, and then you have two beautiful boys. I do. And you have a lovely partner who bakes, which I'm so envious of. 
the bread, not the partner. Yeah, but also, <laughs> I don't think he wants to be known for his baking, his entrepreneurial skills, oh, yeah. his tech knowledge, <laughs> AI expertise. These are the, but although I think he's pretty proud of the baking too. He's yeah. actually like, if I'm being real, he's like a genius entrepreneur. No, don't say that. But this is, okay. Well, no, we don't. <laughs> he's pretty known for these kind of things yeah. in the tech world. But to me, he's the, your boyfriend that makes amazing bread. <laughs> and so not just the baking, the cooking too. Oh. He's really good. Gosh, I'm goddamn jealous. <laughs> so when you're away from him, yeah. like, do you ever feel homesick? And how do you look after like your two gorgeous boys and your, you know those kind of ties while you're away? Yeah, it's um, it's something that people ask quite often as well. I think that I've been traveling a lot since they were very young, mm. so it's not unexpected for them but what we do is before I go anywhere we have a talk about where I'm going to be going we pull up some maps we look at the itinerary where's mommy going to be this day this day the other um the kids are super interested as well in this concept of giving back more than you take away so it's kind of like what are you going to learn is what they ask me and then are you going to do something that's going to have a positive impact it's like okay so it's this pressure you better be doing something good if you're away but so we'll plan it in advance then when I'm traveling they'll know where I am on different days so they can kind of track it if they want to um I don't buy gifts when I travel because I don't want it to be yay mommy's home where's my present yeah and also we have too much stuff anyway and the amount that I travel I would constantly be buying extra suitcases full of stuff yeah right there's kind of a ban but so it's talking to them about where I'm going beforehand them being able to follow a map I don't call them every day when I'm away not because I don't want to but often because of the time zones and actually I found especially um, especially when they were a bit smaller they'd almost get more upset when we were trying to do FaceTime or Skyping every day because it's that kind of a reminder of but you're not here she's not here Um, So sometimes I'll leave them letters before I go as well so they can open them. But really, I try not to travel for more than my ideals a week, two weeks max. Yeah. uh, And then I need to be home. Touching base, them knowing where I'm going. And then when I come back as well, it's proper head down family time and going through the things I've learned or seen so they're really interested in the world as well they always want to know more and I think they've got a little explorer gene developing uh oh so well thank you so so much for spending time with me I have been waiting to interview for so long and you did not disappoint so yeah that was Gabby everybody if you have any questions you can send them to Gabby at the girls on tour podcast at gmail.com and thank you so much for listening thanks Gabby thanks Mira bye You're listening to Mira Manga and the Girls on Tour podcast. Thank you so much, Gabby. She does the best interviews. If you have any comments or questions for Gabby or me, please drop us a line at thegirlsontourpodcast at gmail.com. My thanks to Bill at Radio Paradise, Rodri and Abby. Abby herself will be our guest next week. Former member of girl band The Dulocks, in which I sang and she played keyboards, we'll be reminiscing about our days on the road and touring together. Abby is an exceptionally gifted artist who designed the Girls on Tour podcast logo. She's also a very funny lady. I am so looking forward to this one. Until next time, may you always be joyous within and happy trails. Goodbye.